There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Friday, August 12th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, the plot thickened in the race for Montgomery County Executive. The election was supposed to be certified today, but during an audit, election officials found more than 100 provisional ballots in need of counting. We talked to WTOP's Kate Ryan about whether these ballots could change who wins. You know that meme where they have an actress and all the numbers uh, superimposed over her face (laughs) while she's calculating? (laughs) There's a lot of that going on right now. And the number of migrants bused from the southern border to Union Station has topped 6,000. And resources available for these people are running low. WTOP's Nick Ainelli says the governors from Texas and Arizona are paying for these buses for political reasons. Maybe it works on a national scale, but when you look at the actual impact, the literal impact it's having, it's hurting the local community. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. Megan Clardy is off today. It's a story we've heard before. After weeks of counting votes in the race for Montgomery County Executive, Mark Elrich edged out a win over David Blair. Or so we thought. Last night, the day before the race was set to be certified, the Montgomery County Board of Elections said they found an additional 102 provisional ballots, all of which still needed to be reviewed before certifying the election. WTOP's Kate Ryan is here to help us understand this saga of an election for the Montgomery County Executive's seat. We've seen a back and forth of leads, and now this delay in certification after uncounted ballots were found. Kate, thanks for being here. We've got a lot to unpack. Yeah, there is a whole lot going on. (laughs) So we've got these 102 provisional ballots that are being reviewed. Tell us exactly what a provisional ballot is and whether they could ultimately change the results of this election. A provisional ballot is filed when there's some sort of issue that crops up. For example, maybe you've gone to the wrong precinct to cast your ballot because Mm. you moved. Maybe you had a mail-in ballot sent to you, but you've come to vote in person. In that case, you're going to be asked to do a provisional ballot. The provisional ballot is the one that goes into a special envelope and that has to be hand-counted and verified. They get super special um, that's a technical term. Uh, <laughs> attention during the vote counting process. Mm. And these 102 provisional ballots were found a little bit late, and that's what's really delaying it here. Yes, although um, I want to be clear, it's not like, oh, someone left them in a car somewhere and right, they right, mysteriously right, right, right. appeared. Here's what happens. During any vote counting process across the state, before the votes are finally tabulated and then brought before the Board of Elections to be certified, there's an audit. It's sort of that, you know, when you're checking out of a hotel room and you go, did I get everything? You go back in and double check. Mm. That's exactly what this kind of thing is. It is a double checking of, is there anything we missed? Do all the numbers match? And they found that their numbers did not match up. There were these 102 ballots. I will mention Mark Elrich, county executive, did comment on uh, WAMU's The Politics Hour 
that he didn't think it was a good idea during the tabulation process for the Montgomery County Board of Elections to have operated this way. What they did was they're located uh, in Gaithersburg and they would take the ballots, bring them to their uh, tabulation center, which they set up at the Germantown campus of Montgomery College Mm. because they said, we simply don't have the space. We've never had, this is an unprecedented number of mail-in ballots that that also take extra attention. You're not just running through, through a scanner. So- while the Board of Elections said we did this because of a space issue, Elrich says we need to take a look at – and again, he's saying maybe that wasn't a good idea. He was also careful to say, but before we say, aha, there was a problem, we need to look at. Maybe we need better staffing. Maybe we need to just examine our process a little more closely. But he is not suggesting that there was anything nefarious. Right. So when you look at this, should this latest discovery of these uncounted ballots make us doubt election integrity? Why or why not? I think the Board of Elections would say absolutely not. You should look at this as a we have safeguards to make sure that each and every vote is counted and the safeguards worked. If you are a little concerned about the way things are done, you might say, but wait a minute, that shouldn't happen. We need a better process so we don't have right before we're ready to certify a last minute, oops, we need to schedule another canvassing session and count the remaining 102 ballots. And I should mention that candidate David Blair has issued a statement saying he is confident in the process Mm. and in the Board of Elections ability to make sure to ensure that every vote is counted. Right. I mean, ultimately, they did catch it. They did catch those 102. So we have these 102 could those 102 change the 42 lead that Elrich has? Oh, they sure could. And I will tell you, it's fascinating going on a number of websites you're seeing. You know that meme where they have an actress and all the numbers uh, superimposed yeah. over her face <laughs> yes, while she's is. calculating? <laughs> There's a lot of that going on right now. But bottom line, uh, you know, I called the candidates and said, what would have to happen here? And they said, well... Uh, Blair would have to get 43 votes and then he would surpass him. However, the reason there's number crunching going on is because we don't know if all of those 102 provisional ballots cast a ballot in the county executive race. Right. We don't know that they're all Democratic ballots. Mm. We don't know if they didn't vote for a third candidate. Remember, Hans Reamer was on the ballot. There was another person on the ballot. So... To assume that, uh uh-oh, it's just between these two and all of those 102 votes could come to them, there also may be problems with the ballots like, oops, no, this person shouldn't have voted at all. Right. So, again, this is why these checks and balances are in place. Mm. Bottom line, though, uh, it's an absolute nail-biter for people who who sit on the edge of their seats and like this sort of thing. Right. And it's just dull as dishwater for the rest of the people who go, <laughs> just tell me who's, who's going to be my candidate. Right. So, um, but I can't recall uh, a, a case like this. Right. It's a, it's a highly unusual race. Now, regardless of how this shakes out, whether, you know, Blair is able to take a lead or if Elrich keeps his razor thin lead as he has it, does it still look like we're going to head for a recount? Yep. <laughs> I, I can't imagine with things being this close, no matter who comes out on top, that there wouldn't be a recount. Again, you're well within the margin. It's a 0.25% margin where you can ask for a recount and you your campaign doesn't have to pay for that. Right. And beyond this delayed certification, which you said is really we've never seen before, 
We have seen this matchup between Elrich and Blair being really close before, right? You bet. And again, we had a recount in that one, too. Mm. So that was in 2018 when they uh, faced off, and it was a difference of 79 votes when the counting was done. So there was a recount, and uh, David Blair was able to get just two more votes, giving Elrich the win with 77 votes. And again, as always, I would say this highlights the idea that um, every vote really does matter. If you think that, gee, my vote won't make a difference, I think these candidates would tell you, oh, yes, they do. Right. You could also cast your eyes over to Frederick County in an election that was decided by three votes, one, two, three. And that's that's also headed for a recount. That's correct. You have one in uh, Frederick County. That's a county council race. In Prince George's County case, that's a House of Delegates race. And both uh, races, there have been requests I don't know if the actual petitions have been filed, but there have been requests for a recount. Right. By the way, and I want to make sure that people understand, it's not someone being a sore loser. It's a, we are that close. I want to make absolutely certain. Let's take a look. Mm. And all these races share one thing in common. It's taken a long time. You know, it's taken a long time for results to get out. So what does this tell us when we look forward to November? There are real concerns. And again, most of that is coming from Democrats who are critical of Governor Larry Hogan, the Republican, who vetoed a bill that would have allowed you to count the uh, mail-in ballots prior to um, the two-day waiting period they currently have so that you would be ready to rock and roll with the vote count and speed things up a little bit. Governor Hogan said, look, I'm concerned that that bill just didn't take into consideration some safeguards. So that's why he vetoed it. Mm. There's a lot of arguing on that being lobbed back and forth. But again, Democrats are saying, look, what this does is really narrow the window between the time that the November election takes place, that the certification takes place, and that the seating of the winners takes place. Mm. Again, it's a lot of wonky stuff to the average voter, but it it is a cause for concern, again, mostly among Democrats right now. And so we just saw a delayed in certification Montgomery County, kind of returning back to that. Do we have any indication of when we might see the final results of that race? Bottom line is it should be a Saturday session that it could all get sewn up okay. as far as we know right now. But if this race shows us anything, keep your eyes on the prize here because who knows what's going to happen. Okay, thanks for summing this up for us. You got it. Thank you. And after the break, more than 6,000 migrants have been bused from the southern border to Union Station. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser has asked the National Guard to help. They said no, but just this week, she asked again. We talk about why. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like this show, give us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We love hearing from you guys and your reviews really do help other listeners find this, our area's only in-depth daily local news podcast. And thank you for making us a part of your day.
The buses keep coming, and now more than 6,000 migrants from Texas and Arizona have been dropped off at Union Station. Over the last four months, local nonprofits have done their best to help these arriving migrants, but they're reaching their limit and asking for the city and federal government to step in as their resources are running pretty low. And this story is really kind of a national one. It's a political fight between President Joe Biden and Governors Greg Abbott and Doug Ducey over immigration, but it's playing out and having real-world impacts here in D.C. WTOP's Nick Alinelli joins us to make sense of it all and really focus in on how the DMV is affected by all these migrants. Nick, thanks for being here. Thank you, Luke. So let's start with how D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser has dealt with this situation so far. Well, you know, the mayor has asked for help from the National Guard, and it's important to remember that if D.C. were a state, not taking a side on the state issue at all, but I'm just saying if D.C. were to be a state, the mayor would be the governor. And Mm. governors do not need federal approval to call up the National Guard. But because D.C. is not a state, the mayor needs that approval from the Defense Department to bring in the National Guard. She did that already, and she was denied. She said that was largely because her request was deemed to be too open-ended by the Pentagon. So she's trying again. She has a more narrowly tailored request, and she put it on Twitter. You can read the entire statement there. But essentially, she clarified that the district doesn't want an open-ended response from the National Guard. She's asking for a 90-day deployment from the Guard to provide, quote, logistical support And Bowser has called the whole situation a humanitarian crisis. Mm. And in her latest request, she said, quote, we need help from our federal partners as we seek to stabilize and manage our operating environment in this critical moment. Right. In other words, she says right now the status quo is not working and we need to have, you know, boots on the ground, as it were, to connect these thousands of migrants with resources that they very well need. Yeah, when they come here, they really don't have anything. There are numerous groups in the district here in the nation's capital that are equipped to work uh, with these migrants. And these groups are getting some reimbursement from FEMA. But at this point, there are so many more migrants than were expected. It's difficult for these nonprofits to keep up. Mm. The Central American Resource Center, which is one of those groups, helping migrants when they arrive, providing assistance Uh, getting them to their final destinations, getting them what they need. That group says about 10 or 15 percent of the migrants being bussed in intend to stay in D.C., which means these groups have got to get them on more buses going to their other final destinations. And another group I spoke with, SAMU First Response, that's another one of these nonprofits, that group says initially we were expecting between 1,500 to 2,000 migrants a month. Unfortunately, when the grant money came in, we started seeing almost double the number of migrants and buses coming in morning, midday and evening. Mm. I remember I spoke with Abel Nunez, who's the director of Sen, that first nonprofit group you mentioned. And right. he said that if we don't get resources and we're unable to appropriately receive these people, then they become the city's responsibility because they're going to be in city streets, right? Then police uh, will get involved and all the other agencies. And that will cause serious issues. Right. That's one of the reasons why Mayor Bowser is calling it a humanitarian crisis. They don't have homes. Mm. It's, it's a matter of giving them housing, shelter, food. Uh, they just become citizens out of the blue who, right. who need help. So yeah, that, that is an issue. And the migrants, when they come over the border, they are cleared by the federal immigration inspections. 
and then they're sent on their way. They must continue the immigration process. They're required by law to do that. But they are essentially just new citizens that appeared out of nowhere and they have no resources, which means the district itself needs to provide those resources. And Nick, let's zoom out here for a second and really look at why these migrants are actually coming from Texas and Arizona to D.C. Why are the governors of these states doing this when they know we don't have resources here? When you think about it, it's a debate between two governors and the White House. Mm. The governor's trying to send a message to the White House. Maybe it works on a national scale, but when you look at the actual impact, the literal impact it's having, it's hurting the local community. It doesn't have anything to do with the White House or the Biden administration, literally. Right. They're sending these people over and it's stressing the resources, the local resources and everything that's going into supporting these migrants. They are really stretched thin right now. Mm. And so let's shift our gaze from this potential National Guard federal response to this issue here in D.C. to the local response. Just yesterday, Attorney General Carl Racine said that there are some new grants being given to these nonprofits helping these thousands of migrants. What do we know here? This is brand new from Carl Racine, just happening in the last 24 hours or so. He released a statement talking about this new grant program. And these are grants that are going to go to those nonprofits helping migrants. And the groups can get up to $50,000 in funding. And this is going at a rapid pace because applications are due by Tuesday of next week. Mm. Groups have to take these applications. They need to write down, describe what they do and how they're going to use the money. That SAMU first response group that I was talking about earlier is applying. I spoke to them today and the managing director of SAMU first response says they do currently get that reimbursement from FEMA, but this would help out, especially in getting these folks to their final destinations, because that costs money. If you're going to send someone across the country to where they're trying to go, that's not cheap. Right, right. And it doesn't just cost money to you know, buy tickets to go somewhere else. But in the meantime, when these migrants are here in D.C., you have to pay for food, shelter, you know, a place to go to the bathroom, very essential needs that aren't necessarily met. They don't have those when they arrive here initially on these buses. Yeah. And, you know, those shelters, they really don't have room for many people, mm. I mean, maybe just a few dozen in some cases. And they don't have I mean, they're coming in at such a rapid rate that those types of shelters can really only have people there at capacity for one to three days. It is not that long of a time. So the resources are stretched thin. And again, this is a national debate over Title 42. So the governors are doing this. The governors are sending the migrants here because the Biden administration attempted to lift Title 42. And that's the pandemic era immigration policy that allows authorities to turn away migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. So it's a wide reaching, broad national debate. And the actions of the governors in that debate are really hurting the local community here in the district. Right. And, you know, you have no crystal ball, Nick, but it doesn't seem like this is going to stop. This busing seems like it's going to continue. Is that the sense you get? Well, what's interesting is that because of the Title 42 issue, the Biden administration tried unsuccessfully to lift Title 42. It didn't even happen. Mm. So these buses are continuing to come, even though the governors in the debate have essentially won the debate. So they're continuing to send these buses. And, you know, you want to get out of the D.C. bubble when you think about this stuff. Think about what it's like to be in the middle of the country. Think about what it's like to live in Arizona 
or Texas, if you're living in those states, you don't get the immediate impact that we get when we live in D.C. or in the D.C. area and we hear about this stuff. Those people in those states don't necessarily even understand that the local resources are stretched thin dealing with these buses. They may only see that larger political message right. of sending the migrants to D.C. They may only understand that large scale political message. And that may be effective mm. for the supporters of those governors. But certainly it's a much different story here in the nation's capital. Well, Nick, thank you for helping us understand this kind of complex national local story. All right. Thanks, Luke. And before we go, Juan Soto and Josh Bell are returning to Nats Park, but not as nationals, as we all know. They are now Padres. And I have to confess, I am going through a bit of a sports existential crisis. Right now on my bed, I have a Nats jersey and a San Diego Padres jersey laying out ready for me to pick up one of them as I go to tonight's game. Now, here's the backstory. So when I was growing up, I was a Padres fan. I grew up in D.C., but there was no baseball team here. And all of my extended family, you know, was from San Diego, and my dad was a big Padres fan. So, you know, I just kind of took up the the family tradition and became a Padres fan. I loved it. And then, you know, the Nats came to town, and my dad, I remember, gave me a Nats hat. And he said, you know what? You know, your hometown now has a team. You can go become a Nats fan with my blessing. And so, you know, I took the hat, and I was like, all right, I'm a Nats fan now. A few years later, I went to college in San Diego. And when I was there, you know, I kind of fell back into San Diego Padre fandom. They got new jerseys. They got fantastic new players, Machado, Tatis. And I just, you know, loved the vibe of Petco Park. And so once again, I kind of flip-flopped. And I was like, all right, great. I'm a Padres fan. Maybe I'll live in San Diego for the rest of my life. Perfect. Little did I know that I would move right back to D.C. to come work here at WTOP. And... Now I'm kind of literally stuck. I'm stuck and I'm like, where am I? Who do I root for? Who am I a fan of? And it's really it's really kind of thrown me again into this sports existential crisis. What really justifies fandom? I do not know the answer as, again, I have two jerseys on my bed waiting for me, looking at me thinking, you know, which one is Luke going to pick up? So I have no idea what's going to happen when I end up going to the game tonight. Um, I know it'll be fun, but uh, but we we shall see. Anyway, that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. This show is brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. You can also follow us on social media, all of them. We post content every day. Good stuff. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great weekend, and I'm taking next week off, so I will see you next Monday. Have a good one. 